You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their lives, the ups, the downs, the doubts, the fears, the ahas, <laughs> how they got to where they are today, and how they get through the day to day. Because I believe that our feelings of being enough, worthy, successful, fulfilled are not out there somewhere. Once I have this, do this, be this, then I will feel it. Something that we have to claim for ourselves every single day, sometimes every moment of the day. I'm very excited that my guest today is Nick Ortner. A couple months back, I had his sister, a friend of mine, Jessica Ortner on. Nick is the founder and CEO of The Tapping Solution. We talked to Jessica. It's a family business. Jessica and their brother, Alex, as well, they all run The Tapping Solution. Nick is also a New York Times bestselling author. And um, yeah, we get into how did he even come to find tapping and building this business, this amazing business that is helping so many. I've been recommending their tapping app like daily to friends, clients, followers. So definitely go check out the app. It's in the links. And uh, let's just get into this episode and hear from Nick. All right. So, Nick, I know your sister, Jessica, very well, and she was already on the podcast. So we know a little bit about you and your journey. But I was like in talking to her, I was also like, all right, I need to talk to Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Get the other side of the story, right? Yeah. Well, I just I think it's so cool that you guys have created any company together. But what it is and like the start of it and everything. So I want to start with like, yeah, how did you start to even like discover wellness? And it sounded like from her story that you guys all sort of got into personal development like stuff pretty early, but it seemed like you might've been the first one in there. I think I was. I think that, um, you know, one of my earliest personal development memories is seeing that my mom on TV. So maybe we give her the credit to start that she bought Tony Robbins tapes from TV. Oh, I thought you bought those. Yeah, no, she bought them. I mean, I could see them so clearly. My dad was really big into personal development. He used to buy a lot of Nightingale Conant uh, tapes. Did you ever hear of them? No, I don't. But my dad was into Dale Carnegie when I was a kid. So I don't know the Nightingale. I was like, but that just made me think of him. (laughs) Yeah. So Nightingale Conant, I'm sure they had a Dale Carnegie set. They were like personal development and they would come in these sort of like eight by 11 plastic binders that you would open up and there'd be this, the tapes, one tape, two tape, like here's the eight tape set on Dale Carnegie or Tony Robbins or, you know, different things like that. So my dad bought all those, but I think it was my mom. She was a big TV shopper. She still, she still <laughs> can be. You know? She bought the Tony Robbins tapes. And my first experience was probably listening to them in high school. If I had to guess, it'd be junior or senior year got me onto the path of personal development. College, I don't think there's much personal development in college for anybody. You know? but, well, even let's go back there. I feel yeah. like I'm in high school. I see something that my mom bought and is interested in. Like, I'm probably not going to pop a tape in and listen to it. Like, So what even made you be interested to be like, was your mom even, were your parents talking about these things to you guys as a family? Or like, what made you even want to put that cassette in? <laughs> Yeah, great question. I don't think so. I don't think there was an active conversation of, hey, go listen to this, uh, which is, you know, 
That's something I tell people a lot when they ask me about tapping and how to share it with friends and family. I always say, hey, just do the work yourself. Like, don't talk about it. You know, just do the work. Right. Because if you tell somebody you need to go do this, then like a lot of times they oh, just hear it. a block like, nope. And I will never go yeah. through the thing. Go do that thing because people keep telling me to do it. <laughs> exactly. So I think, you know, it wasn't like there was dinner table conversations about Tony Robbins. It was just a, that's what they were doing. And I've always been a big reader. I mean, in high school, I remember reading, you know, Ayn Rand, The Fountainhead. And then junior year, I did an independent study where I read the Bible the whole way through, like start to finish, so which were two very interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with Ayn Rand and The Fountainhead. It's really like self-power and all about the individual and capitalism. And then the Bible, which is in some ways the opposite about giving and openness and sharing. And it was great to see the contrasting views and uh, being able to land someplace in the middle. And what made you want to read the Bible from start to finish and do a self-study? Like you did that for school? Like I'm going to read? Yeah. So I had this, this humanities class that was like, there was 12 of us. I don't know. They, you know, it's annoying to call it the gifted program or something like that, you know, but it was one of those things. Right? <laughs> so just obnoxious to be like, oh, it was actually the gifted program. I don't know. <laughs> You're familiar. We were the nerds in the hallway. And we had this amazing teacher, Mrs. Lohman, who we got to do cool things and read interesting books and read philosophy and do independent projects. Yeah, so it was actually sophomore and junior year that that class was there with the 12 of us. And then senior year, if you wanted to, you could do your independent study with her. So that's what I did. And part of it was just like reading these works of literature and going deep into them. And Oh, so it wasn't just the Bible for the, that was like part of it, that you were reading a bunch of different things and then doing. And sort of assimilating them and making sense of them. And it was really cool. And the reality is, I mean, it's something that would always frustrate me about this gifted program. Everyone should have been in it. It was just cool stuff, right? That everyone had the ability and capability to read and learn. And for some reason, was lucky enough to do those things where other people were stuck with boring teachers who weren't, you know, getting them intellectually interested in these kinds of things. So there was definitely that innate desire there. I mentioned college where I think I went backwards. It got dumber in college, less interested, less curious. You know? But so you listened to the Tony Robbins. Did you listen to the whole series or you just listened to one tape and was just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, did you like listen to it at first and be like, hmm, this guy's onto something or like, do you remember? Yeah, it was definitely onto something. I'm, you know, I can't guarantee that I listened to all 30. I know I read the books. So it started something in you for sure. For sure, for sure. And then I picked them up more. I think college, just nothing happens of interest and you just drink a lot and, you know. Well, and also, what did you do from high school to college? What did you go to college for? Did you have any ideas about what you do? Or are you just like, great, graduate high school. Next step is you go to college. Graduate high school, go to college. I went to Trinity College in Hartford, which is a great little school. Mostly it was half, hey, this is a great school. Half I can get in easily. I just knew I could get in early admissions and I just, there we go. And then the other half went, that's three halves, but you know. <laughs> it's okay. It'll work. You know. You're, you're, you're in the third. gifted program, your math. <laughs> exactly. I, I, yeah, it wasn't a math program. We don't need to question the other your third. math. <laughs> it's the new math, new math. 
The other third was my girlfriend, my high school girlfriend went to Yukon, which was half an hour away. So these are the decisions that we make in life. Okay, yeah, great. You know, let's go to school here. It was a great little college. Did you know what you were, were you going into like, I'm going to be this or just again, like I'm getting a degree. So you pick a college, you pick a major. That's it. It was a liberal arts college. I was a religion major because it was sort of like history. And, you know, my parents would tell their friends, they'd ask, oh, what's Nick majoring in? And they'd say religion. And they would say religion. People would ask, oh, is he going to be a priest? Like, you know, it's like, no, no, this is just history. It's just history and culture. So I did that, graduated in three years because I had a bunch of AP credits from high school that transferred over, saved myself myself and my parents a lot of money. And that was important to not pay $30,000 extra a year, which I know now is some other astronomical fee that probably seems cheap right Mm -hmm. now. And then sat off into the world. Uh, My first job right out of college was at People's Bank, which is a Connecticut bank. I was in the corporate department. The idea was you would rotate through all the different departments through over the first year, and you started in customer service. And that's a good. It's place interesting. To start. It's a miserable it's... and great place to start. And you know what it did for me, and I and it's just so critical. And I think something that everyone needs to do at some point in their lives, especially when they're young. It made me not scared to be on the phone. And I know that seems silly, but when you're 22 years old. 21 years old, you're not really used to answering questions on the phone. I mean, you talk with your friends, but not in a more formal business manner. Maybe be patient with people, speak clearly, like you had to figure out all these things. You had to solve people's problems, put your headset on and answer calls all day. So I did it for about two months and it was fabulous. It was fabulous to just get that confidence that I can pick up the call, the phone and speak and Again, yeah, seems silly now, but that's that's a big deal when in your twenties to be able to have that skill set. Did you also? I'm I'm sure you had to deal with all sorts of disgruntled customers and people that you know aren't making any sense and blaming you for things. But I'm guessing also, did you get a feeling of like, oh, I'm helping? Like I am helping. I am directly helping someone. I'm talking to a human. They're having a yeah. problem. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are still pissed off when they have the call, but also, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Like. Yeah. And they're calling from around the country and they're all different kinds of people of all different kinds of ages. So, you know, learning how to talk to a lot of different people. I think it's a nice skill set to have. So I did that. I lasted, you know, it was supposed to be a year program. I lasted like two and a half months and then I quit. I just, corporate stuff was not for me. I would say stuff like, hey, you know, I don't really have a lot on my plate. Like, you're not giving me work to do. I would bring in books to sit and read because it just wasn't that much to do. And my lead or whoever was in charge of the program said, you know, the first year is really just about observing and just being there and this, that, and the other. And I said, I can't, I can't observe for a year. Like I need to do something. Uh, So I quit. I was living at my parents' house because it was 45 minutes from work and I hadn't moved out yet. My girlfriend from college was still college and at Trinity. So I was like, all right, just live at home. And how was that choice to make for like, and telling your parents? 
was that something that, and I don't know too, if this is a, I, I'm sure it's different for each person in their background and who they uniquely are or, and yeah. I wonder if like being a male or female also, like people have sure. told me I've had another man on and I asked him some sort of question where he made some sort of choice like that. And he was like, you know, I think actually as a man, <laughs> you know, I've been taught to be like, I do what I want and I'll land on my feet. Or like, he was like, he pointed out to me that like, um, it wasn't that hard of a choice for me as a man. That might have <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's different for probably each person, but I was an interesting, and I ask everybody, if you were a female, I would ask you the same thing. Cause we, of course, the weight of what will our parents think? And I'm sure, you know, your totally. parents immigrated, they, you know, I'm guessing we're for sure driving into you guys as kids, right? You need to like have good jobs or did they put in from you from a young age, like, you know, do whatever you want. You don't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they were generally supportive. I can't think of a time. I mean, I can think of my mom not liking some of my high school friends, you know, at various points, which is probably correct yeah. decision, <laughs> you know, on her part. But I've always been very self-directed and I can't think of a lot of pushback. I love quitting things. So it's like freshman year in high school, I've been playing soccer my whole life and trying out for the varsity team and like pretty good soccer player. The coaches are total jerks and it's miserable. And I quit because I said, this is miserable. I don't enjoy it. And it was like a big deal. I'll be like, oh my gosh, you're quitting. Then sophomore year, there were new coaches and there was a new coach and I went back and made the team and was captain my senior year and all went great. But I was like, you know what? Now during this point in time, I'm not doing it. And if I look at a through line in my life is that I've done difficult things and made risky decisions but I always do what I want to do. You know, I mean, the bottom line is like, if I'm not interested, if I'm unhappy, I just say, nope, I'm not doing it. Yeah, same. And it can be hard. And I think, yeah, so that's great. I'm guessing your parents probably saw that in you. And also you're young, like, okay, that corporate job didn't work for two months. Like you got a long life ahead of you. <laughs> that's it. And, you know, I think I had a plan though, because I know that right after that, I started, my dad had a business. He worked from home where he, uh, imported airplane equipment and import export, this, that, and the other stuff with Argentina. And he had just a small business and I made a website for him. I uh, just figured out how to use Dreamweaver on my own and pieced it together. Which, yeah, back then that was probably the beginning of, or, or towards. Yeah. So that's 2000. So I graduated in 99. So 1999, 2000. Um, so that's early. Yeah, that's not yeah. back then. Not every business has a website like that's the like, oh, let's try this Internet thing. Totally, totally. And, you know, so I built it for him. I figured out how to do search engine optimization to the point where Whoa. I did it so well because there was no competition that he started getting way too many inquiries. And it was actually not that much of a good thing. There was some good stuff, but there was so much just junk, you know, like around it all because I just made him show up and number one in the search engines for airplane parts kind of thing. So yeah, for people that don't know SEO or search engine optimization yeah. is like basically there are these keywords and things I have not personally really ever gotten into it. <laughs> I probably could benefit yeah. from it. But yeah, so you're putting stuff in the website so that when you go to Google or search engines, then your stuff shows up first. So all of a sudden, Nick dials his dad's website in and he's getting too many clicks. It sounds like. That's it. Exactly. You nailed it. And then, um, so I'm doing that at home and then I'm like, all right, I guess I can build websites. I still need money. So I was working at the local driving range that I used to work 
at in high school. I was like, okay, well, this is, I have a college degree and now I'm working at this driving range, maybe not moving forward, but so be it. It is what it is. And I approached them and I said, hey, you guys don't have a website. Let me build you a website. Built them a website, did email capture for them. Again, this is 2000. This is like a big new deal. It was like the golf tip of the week. Anyone came to the desk and say, hey, do you want to sign up for our golf tip of the week newsletter? So I started building an email newsletter for them. Certainly, wow. you know, a look into the future of things to come where I would build an email list and, and do this kind of work. And for the next couple of years, I did that. I just started, I made a web development and marketing consulting firm that I just created out of thin air. And would you just mostly approach other businesses or did they start to come to you after you started like? Well, I did some SEO. So then people would come to me and I started getting clients, you know, different places. And, you know, it was never a huge business, but at the peak, I mean, when I was doing well, you know, I might've been making a hundred thousand dollars a year and I'm 24 years old. So you know, I'd say you were doing pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. I mean, you know, compared to my friends who were all like my job at people's bank was $36,000 a year where I started. So, and especially back then, like you're just working from home on your computer, which these days, especially currently, it's very, yeah, totally. <laughs> everyone is doing it. But like that back then, people are probably like, what, what are you doing? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you just sit at home on your computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did that, moved into, moved to Brooklyn with a couple of friends, uh, was working in Manhattan. I had a client who had office space in Manhattan, one of my web clients, and I was doing a lot of work for him. So he gave me an office there. So I would go into 410 Park Avenue. I got to put that on my, you know, that was a new business address, 410 Park Avenue, and take a bus every morning, which when we first got the house in Brooklyn, it was like, okay, well, this looks pretty close to Manhattan until it's close on the map. But until you have to take a bus in the morning, you realize it's 50 minutes to work. And 50 minutes back, it was a long commute on a bus and did that in Brooklyn for a year, then moved into Manhattan for a year and uh, was just living in an apartment in Manhattan doing this marketing stuff. Just building websites and marketing, doing SEO for yeah. companies and stuff like that. And at that time, I'm That's guessing it. you're doing it, you're growing it, so you're enjoying it. But did a part of, like, was there a part of you feeling like this isn't it? Or you're just like, hmm, I'm doing this until this doesn't feel right? Or, yeah, I'm enjoying it, um, but it wasn't thrilling. And especially when I moved into New York, spending so much money between rent and this, that, and the other. I had a buddy of mine who was working with me and was paying his rent. I don't, I don't think, you know, we were still really close friends. And he comes in later in the story and we think back and it was like, I think I just paid your rent and bought you food. Did you get paid anything? Like, how do we, we don't remember how we worked it out, but you know, we're both 25 year olds living in Manhattan, just, you know, doing our thing. And then the next big turning point there is probably when I'm walking down the street, in Manhattan, and there's these little, you know, those little holders for newspapers or flyers. And there's a learning annex Holder learning annex still exists. They're all classes and workshops in major cities that you can take. And right on the cover was Tony Robbins, uh, Unleash the Power Within, you know, September 20th, 2002. So a year after 9 11. And I looked at it and I picked up, pulled out the thing and I signed up. And 
couple of weeks later, probably took a taxi to Newark. I don't know how I got there because it was across. It says New York, but it's actually in New Jersey, as tends to be with New York stuff. And uh, showed up at this event, the, this three-day event by myself and saw, you know, Tony come out on stage and take us through this three-day weekend experience. In between that time from like listening to his stuff in high school to then you're building your own business and you're living in New York City, like was any of that stuff like in your mind, it was just like all of a sudden you walked past, saw this and was just like, oh, right, that guy, I need to do this. No, it was in my mind. I mean, I was definitely listening to stuff. My, I had two roommates in Brooklyn, two high school friends and my friend Aaron would make fun of me because I would just constantly have headphones on and, and a Walkman, you know, on my belt I was just going around the house and it was, and I'm still the same. Now it's, you know, an iPhone on airplane mode and a headset and my wife still makes fun of me or yells at me when she's like, I asked you that question three times, you know, like take out your headphones. So you still are like listening, like taking in information like this constantly. Wow. Constantly. I mean, now it's podcast. Now it could be yeah. some more fun stuff thrown in. But, you know, if I can point to two things that have really changed my life, one is tapping, which we'll get into. The other one is just audiobooks podcasts, the things that you put in your ear. I mean, I'm a firm believer that if you want to change your life, the easiest thing to do is to put on a headset and listen to positive information. Like you have no choice but to change. It might take a while, but that information is just going to get in there and start feeding your brain. So you, so okay, so you had been listening to his stuff for years. And then when you see that, then you're like, all right, Go, definitely going in person. And then what did that weekend do for you? You know, what that weekend did, and what I think one of the incredible things about Tony's work, the foundation, is it helped me, made me, moved me towards taking personal responsibility for my life. And it seems obvious now, most of your listeners are likely already on the path of personal responsibility, like, hey, I can change my world. Not everything. Yes, you know, I can't do anything about a global pandemic, but I can do something about how I react to it. I can do something about my dreams and the goals that I have. I can take steps forward. The world doesn't just happen to me. I have some nexus of control in the world. And I think that's what Tony does really well, especially in that weekend. Look around and go, okay, what's happened in my past? What are the patterns that I'm running? How am I behaving? And then what concrete decisions can I make to move forward in the future? So I did that three-day event. And then over the course of the year, I did his other events. I did Date with Destiny, which is a longer event in California. I went to Fiji for what? Life Mastery. All in that same year? Yeah. It's usually like most people do it all in the same year. You can spread it out. But it's like, hey, this is the university. Kind of like go do all of them. Got it. Like you get hooked in and it's like next, you got next up, next up. Jessica exactly. told a story, I feel like where she flew, you guys, the whole family flew to Florida and we're like staying in a one hotel room at some point. I don't know if this was before or after yeah. that. So this is probably sometime during that year as I'm into it and doing these things. I convinced my whole family to go down to Miami or Orlando or one of those major cities for a UPW. And, you know, the, Tickets were expensive and we didn't have that much money. So we just all crashed in one room, like people sleeping on the floor. And then my buddy, Nick Polizzi, who 
again, comes in later with the tapping solution was also there. So it was my family and Nick Polizzi, and they went through this UPW experience. And I think Jess was, you know, just as motivated, inspired, and moved by that as I was, because she went on to do all the other events and you know, go through sort of his curriculum. Do you remember, like, you know, when you're saying that what the main thing that it was doing was teaching you the self, you didn't, what was it? Not self-direction, but self, or maybe you did say self-direction. Yeah. Self-direction, uh, personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Yeah. And that it seemed like you already pretty, had a maybe better handle on it than so, most people, but also, and then like the patterns and like that. Do you remember something very clear of being like, oh, I've been doing this or I've been blaming this or like a remembering a pattern that really, because I feel like when you have one of, uh, when you're in any sort of workshop or listening to something, you have that moment of like, oh, I've been doing this or I, you know, like yeah. whatever, then that really like creates a trigger of like, can you remember something that you identified that really like made you wake up to? Oh. Yeah. I mean, one of the big changes that I know i made after that event was that same client that brought me into his office in Park Avenue. Uh, it was a toxic environment, just toxic through and through. And, but he was a client. He paid me money and he gave you, you an know, office like, at Park he Avenue. He gave me an office. I got to stay exactly. with this guy. I got to stay with this guy. Exactly. But it was so toxic. And that weekend gave me the energy to say, I got to cut this off. Like I, I need to stop doing this. So I did. And that happens for a lot of people where they go, I'm just doing these things in my life because I've done them in the past and there's sort of this forward momentum and being able to make that right. Or it feels like this is what I should be doing. Oh, I'm getting a good paycheck. I'm getting this. So I, this is, I have to stay in this. But meanwhile, exactly. I'm unhappy every day. That's it. That's <laughs> no matter what it. I'm doing, no matter what I'm with the person or not, I'm unhappy. <laughs> you said it. You said it. Okay. So you go on this Tony Robbins spree. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a spree. It was a totally a spree. You know, Life Mastery in Fiji, where the focus on that program is health and vitality, and you actually do a cleanse. You know, fasting, as you probably know, is like the hottest thing right now. Intermittent fasting, water fasting, we're finally realizing the benefits of that for so many different things. Tony was onto that in 2000. The Life Mastery program is like a fast, it's a modified fast. And you know, I probably did that in 2003. So that kicked off a whole, you know, health journey and just interest in health and vitality alongside with, you know, the emotional and the mental components of change. Let's say also these events are not cheap at all. Yeah. I've never been to one, but I've seen them. And that's one of the reasons, honestly, like that's, I have a, you know, I have, that's one of my things is like, oh, the yeah. investing and I do, but like stuff like that. So do you not just go to one, but several, and then you're paying for the trips and the hotel rooms and stuff like that. You were doing good, but I'm guessing that also comes with every time you sign up for one is a big decision of this is a big financial. So was it just again, like you went to that first one, you had the money, probably you were doing okay. And then like, it had to have been so transformative to keep investing in that. Cause that's, a lot of money. Totally. A year with Tony Robbins, I can't even imagine. Well, and I sort of had the money because I'm I'm living in Manhattan. You're young. I give up that big that big client. I'm spending a lot on rent, spending a lot on all these things, and I went from being financially in a good place to being underwater really quickly. I mean, really quickly. I left Manhattan probably about a hundred grand in debt with a bunch of credit cards that. Really, what happened was I spent like crazy. I lost that client. A couple of other clients fell through. 
it all just turned around really quickly in the midst of doing all this personal development work too, which is, you know. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm feeling so great about myself. My life is in my hands and I'm a hundred yeah. <laughs> in debt. And I'm a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And I think these things happen. And I, look, I'm not suggesting that you, you go a hundred thousand dollars in debt and make what looking back were financially, probably financially irresponsible decisions. What wasn't irresponsible, I don't think, was the Tony Robbins stuff. What was more irresponsible was the rent in the one bedroom apartment in Midtown or, you know, the eating out or the other things that I'm sure I spent just tons of money on. And then being a distracted 25 year old who, even though I'm doing these things, am I really keeping my eye on the business? And it, it was a lot happening, but it set me up for, you know, future things. And also I think that tolerance, because Again, a couple of years later, I go back in debt to make the Tapping Solution documentary film. The uh, knowledge that I can get myself out of these situations, that I'm resourceful enough to invest in myself or something I believe in, and then get out of it. It's Trisha bringing you a brief interruption. I'm so excited. If you've listened to previous episodes where I've mentioned this or followed me on social media, you know I'm in love with my infrared sauna blanket. They have been backordered for months, but right now they are back in stock and shipping right away. And you can still use my code JOY75 for $75 off. Go use my unique link in the show notes to get that offer. And if you're like, wait, what are you talking about? So it's an infrared sauna blanket. It's basically a sleeping bag that has these amazing materials in it with infrared sauna heat. So instead of having one of those boxes you get in, you can like store this thing under your bed in a closet, super easy. I roll mine out, lay on the floor, sometimes on a bed, put on a good show or a podcast. I wear a long sleeve shirt, pants, socks, keep water nearby. And I lay in this thing, enjoy a show with my full attention for 45 minutes to an hour and sweat, 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 sweat. All the toxins out, all the stress out, all the shit that's in my body and making me not feel great. So I do this when my physical body hurts from fibromyalgia aches and pains to, you know, exercising strains to sitting in a car whatever it is, physical aches and pains, but also it helps me emotionally and to calm down my nervous system when I feel overwhelmed, when there's stress, whatever it is. It seriously is a game changer. Do it in early in the day, it gives me energy. Do it at the end of the day. It helps me sleep so much better. You can really feel your stress and your physical pain melting away. Go check it out. Link in the show notes here. And again, use my code JOY75 for $75 off. There's also an interest-free payment plan. You can do that plus use my code. And feel free to DM me if you have any questions about it. Like I said, I'm obsessed. I love mine. So I love answering your questions. So hit me up at Your Joyologist. Let's get back to the episode. So, yeah, so I leave Manhattan when I'm like, I can't afford this place anymore. Uh, clients are drying up. And my, my father had been doing real estate here in Connecticut. And moved out back out with a girlfriend that I had in Manhattan. She was from London and we came back home and started doing real estate with my dad and brother. So you can see the theme here of just like whatever's we're into, whatever's happening. Okay, real estate seems like it's doing well. We're buying and 
fixing up and selling houses. Let's do it. Let's all do it together. And the three of us did that probably, you know, for a couple of years. So maybe we're saying 04 to 07 or 03 to 07. We're just doing this real estate thing. Talk about even less fulfilling because I mean, it was nice fixing up a house and making it look great when it was a disaster. But we were buying a lot of foreclosed homes. We were buying a lot of distressed homes. And this is in an up market. So we're dealing with some really difficult people who are in tough situations, who have made poor decisions along the way, or things have happened to them. And you know, you're trying to... I mean, really, I think one of our faults as real estate investors is we were really nice. So when someone wasn't able to pay their rent, we would just be cool about it because you want to be cool about it. But you can't do that with 20 properties. And once again, and really in 2007, 2008, when the real estate market crashed and we were holding 23 properties at the time that we just couldn't sell, uh, that's when everything went underwater once again. Yeah. So where did you come from? That Do you continue at that time? You're probably not spending the money on Tony Robbins, but I'm guessing, yeah, you got your headphones in, you're listening to stuff, you're like still there. And, and, and during this time, I'm guessing, is there a part of you that just again knows like, are you just like taking it like I'm a day by day, year by year kind of guy and not like, cause I think so many people are like, I have to have this and you know, like, totally. so I need the job. And if I'm doing this, this is all I ever do. Like, I think people get attached to finality too. Like you pick a job out of college and then that's what you are for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think these days it's starting to evolve and there's this like pivot. Everybody's talking about pivoting now, which I was like, all oh, right, I guess I've pivoted several times, but I never, we didn't have a word for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. You know, like, it's like yeah, these exactly. words come out and I'm like, right, I've been doing that forever. Pivoting was just my life falling apart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there was no master plan. There was no like, okay, in 20 years, we're going to create this and, you know, go through these steps. It was just, and really, again, if I look at that time period, I'm into, I'm doing the real estate, but I'm really just into personal development stuff. I'm, I'm listening to Tony. I'm listening to Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and all these Carolyn Mace. Like, that is filling my brain with no, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a thought leader. Or a healer. I mean, there was not an ounce of me that ever thought I would write a New York Times bestselling book. I would be on stage. Like, it just wasn't there, which I think is good in some ways. Yeah, totally. Like, I make up, yeah, so you're just doing work that will bring money in that you don't hate whatever that is, which, okay, I'm yeah. doing this. I'm helping people. I build their websites. I'm helping people houses. And then I'm constantly bettering myself. Like, great. Like, yeah, you weren't like taking in the information with, I'm going to become one of these people. Now I will That's build it. my yeah. own personal development. <laughs> yeah. I will, I will have my empire, a tapping empire. <laughs> and so that's right around when I discovered tapping my first, as far as I can remember, because I, my first introduction to it was, I know he's a running theme in this podcast, was that a Tony event. The, what's the coolest part about it all is that we text each other. We've become friends the last couple of years. And he sends me these voice texts, which are just amazing. Because, you know, texts are cool if it said Tony Robbins at the top. But a voice text is like the best. My life is complete. I can't get over it every time I get a text. You know. So in 2003 or four. I'm at a, a leadership event in San Diego, and Tony does a quick demonstration of tapping. Again, he's been into this stuff for just so long, and I really think ahead of the curve on it. He does a demonstration, and 
I remember reading some books, going online, just learning more about the process. So during that time period, I would say that the running joke was don't say anything is wrong around Nick because he's just going to make you tap on it. And Jess can tell you time and again. I think Jess says that in the episode. <laughs> but some crazy things. When I think about Jess, I remember we're in this house in Bethel. She's got a terrible sore throat. And she is painting my brother's room for money. So she's like, dropped out of college, you know, Alex needed his room painted. Probably was like, here's 20 bucks or 100 bucks or something, paint my room. Throat is killing her. And I say, well, let's do tapping. And we start tapping on her throat. And then we start unfolding the emotional components. And she was just like depressed about the fact that she was painting her brother's room for money and this, that, and the other. And her sore throat just went away. I mean, gone. How did that happen? How was I in pain 10 minutes ago and now it doesn't hurt? And I kept having experience after experience like that where people would just get incredible results with it. So let's pretend that a listener doesn't know, didn't listen to the episode with Jess and doesn't know what tapping is. You did tapping on her sore throat. What does that mean? You just tapped on her throat with your <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Is that tapping or EFT is a technique where we tap, we physically apply pressure to these endpoints of meridians of our body. And what the latest research is showing, and it's coming in fast and furious, some real physical concrete research, uh, showing that when we tap on these endpoints of meridians, we send a calming signal to the amygdala in the brain. And the amygdala, a lot of your listeners will know, is the fight, flight, or freeze response center. Or I just heard there's an extra F, there's the faint too. I haven't learned much about faint. So fight, flight, freeze, or faint, the response center in our brains. It's the part that gets stressed. It's the part that shoots out cortisol when we're angry at someone or anxious about something or just dealing with the stressors of modern life or in physical pain. And tapping works to mediate that stress in really powerful ways. So looking back on that, story with Jess, she was stressed out and there was both the conscious stress, but then there was some unconscious stuff going on the, the, that she pieced together when we did the tapping and then she found physical release and relief from it. But so when you're again, like, so if you're like, okay, Jess, you have a sore throat, let's do tapping because I, I know a little bit of tapping from you guys. I don't practice regularly. So then is that too, are you then, so you have a sore throat. So let's create, there's a dialogue that goes along with the tapping or does it can just be the tapping, right? It can't just be the tapping, but generally there is a dialogue. So it's, okay, let's start with, you didn't know. Yeah. So like, let's say, yeah, I have a sore throat. Like, what would you have done? Like, let's pretend back in the day, like, Jess, let, you have a sore throat. Let's work on this. Like, what is yeah, that? Yeah, so- Usually just starting right where you are. So even though I have a sore throat tapping on the side of the hand, the karate chop point, I choose to relax now. Even though my throat really hurts, I love and accept myself. And then tapping through all the different points, this sore throat, it hurts. And then from there is usually when you go, okay, what's really going on? So oftentimes people do a round of tapping on the thing, on the sore throat, and it'll be like, all right, it hurt at a nine and now it went to a seven or a six. So they can find some real physical relief just by relaxing the body. Then when you go, okay, what's coming up for you? What are you most stressed out about in your life? What are the negative thoughts that you're thinking? What are you anxious about? Jess probably said, I can't believe 
you know, I'm 21 years old and painting my brother's room. So even though I can't believe I'm in this place, even though I'm so frustrated, even though nothing's working out for me, I don't know what I'm going to do. We give a voice to these things. We give a voice to the anxiety, the pain, the overwhelm, and then again, tapping through the points to let it go. It's so compassionate is what I feel like, you know, like you're giving yourself, first of all, you're making this space to name, even if it's just in, I have a sore throat, like let's pause, acknowledge I am in pain because we're so busy and moving in this and that. I have a sore throat, but I got to do this and the kids and that, whatever. Like I have a sore, like even just that, like you're pausing and acknowledging pain, whether it's emotional or physical. And then the, even, I think it's just like the most compassionate because I've been a big believer of affirmations forever. And this just feels like next level and that the, the language of it, even though like, even though I'm worried about how I'm going to pay my bills this month, or even though my body hurts so bad and I don't know why, whatever it is that's coming up, oh. even though, and then what is the next, like, I believe, or what's the next slip? I choose to accept. Yeah, I choose to accept myself or I choose to relax now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I love the word compassionate. No, it's so true. It's a compassionate. It's so fucking compassionate. We're so mean to ourselves. No, we're so mean to ourselves. It's a compassionate approach. I got to sit down a couple of years ago uh, with Louise Hay before mm. she passed away. And Louise Hay is the founder of Hay House, the queen of affirmations. Yep. She's just absolutely incredible. That was how I first found them. And I said to Louise, I said, we've been doing some tapping together. And then we were doing, we did a video interview. And I said, Louise, you are the queen of affirmations. What are you doing with this negative stuff? Because we start with, even though I'm anxious, even though I hate myself, if that's what you're mm-hmm. feeling, even though I'm so angry at myself. And she looked at me sweetly and she said, honey, if you want to clean a house, you have to see the dirt. And it was like, boom, mind blown and just the simplicity of the truth of it. She said, hey, we're going to clean a house. Like, We're going to see the dirt. We're going to clean the house and then we can do affirmations. But what's great about the combination is going oftentimes, not always, but for a lot of people going right to affirmations, if they go, I love myself, I am beautiful, I accept everything about myself. If they're resistance, if they're self-loathing, if they're self-anger, if they're whatever's going on is really high, their brain is going, this is total BS. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. You're an idiot and, you know, wasting time. Where we can go, even though I'm so angry at myself, I choose to relax now. I choose to love myself a little bit now. I choose to feel compassion for myself now. It is such a compassionate approach where we acknowledge how we feel and then turn towards the positive and then move to the place that we want to move to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, yeah, like I found affirmations and Louise Hay was definitely the first source of that for me. And it was like so powerful for me. And I made my own affirmation deck. I have an app. I realized one years ago, I was doing the morning page practice, you know, where it's like the venting onto the page and don't stop yourself and whatever. And I still love that. That's the only way I've been able to journal. But I struggled because I would start to write out the doubts, the fears, the thoughts we want to label as negative, right? And I would stop myself (gasps) because I can't write this down because then they'll mean that's true. And so if then that means I believe that in myself because I'm only supposed to believe positive things. And I remember having like this moment of like exactly where I was and struggling with this and then being like, but this is like, if these thoughts are trying to come out of my mind, like they are real. And if I'm just going to ignore them and be like, nope, I'm positive, happy, Trisha, I'm the joyologist. Yeah, I can't yeah. have these thoughts. Like then I'm I like, and it was a huge moment for me of like, 
no, I have to acknowledge them. And then now, like I even teach people and I have people write in every week on my Instagram, like, tell me something you're struggling with. And then let me create affirmations for you based on that. Mm. Like, like that I'm now realizing the most powerful affirmations, like here, I'm going to give you some great ones every week, guys. But what they're coming from is me naming the doubts, fears, like negative stuff that I'm feeling. And then I ask myself, what do I want to believe? What do I want to believe about myself? So I I had this like and then also using the and statement lately has been huge for me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, a part of you does believe that a part of me does believe that doubt, fear because it exists. But I don't have to believe it. I want to believe this. So like. We can be sad and joyful at the same time. Like, yeah, it's like the forcing into positivity is just going to like end up into like crippling, you know, or like you're just going to break apart at some point. <laughs> like it. No, that's what happens. You just swallow it down. You swallow, swallow, swallow. And joyful. you put a big smile on, I choose a smile on your face <laughs> and you look like you're about to explode. Yeah, like- you know? <laughs> Yeah. So that I love the tapping, like even so when he's that, that languaging is so amazing. You're naming this thing that you're struggling with. And then also the like, okay, shining some light on what you do want to believe, feel what is possible. But then also the tapping while you're saying that, yeah, you're tapping on these meridian points is also then your mind is calming down with those words, but right by the adding the tapping, it's calming your body and nervous system too. So then you can actually really believe that more is that what yeah i mean it's i think that we are finally starting to realize we've been very mind focused and brain focused and saying okay we have these physical bodies that hold on to trauma hold on to stress hold on to these things and when we bring the body in we can get better results and we have research on this i just saw a study that um about tapping and this was a a replication study so basically Someone did this study six or seven years ago, and now they're trying to replicate the result, which is really important for science because a lot of studies in science, they come out with them and they try to replicate them and just doesn't work for whatever reason. And in this study, there was three groups. Uh, one group did an hour of tapping. It was actually in a group environment. They did group tapping. The second group did psychoeducation, so more mental stuff. They learned about stress and the body. And then the third group, they had to read magazines for an hour in a waiting room because they're the control group doing nothing. So the tapping group, and what they did is they measured cortisol in the body before and after. Really easy to measure, just spit into a tube. Your saliva has cortisol in it, which is the main stress hormone in the body. If you're really stressed, that cortisol is going to be high. It wavers throughout the day, but they did them all at the same time. So they do before and after cortisol. The tapping group had a 43% decrease in cortisol in an hour, which is just huge drop. The psychoeducation group had a 19% decrease in cortisol. And I love seeing those two groups together because that to me shows the power of the physical process. I could almost see as the psychoeducation group being like, hey, those are affirmations without bringing the tapping in, without releasing the anxiety, the stress, the overwhelm, the resistance to those things. Now we get an even bigger result. And then the poor magazine group, uh, their cortisol went up 2%. So just sitting there reading magazines, and I joke that I'd like to see that study done again with the control group being on Facebook or Instagram, you know, whatever, Mm. whatever thing triggers you to see what happens there. Because my guess is cortisol goes up on some of those platforms for certain people. Okay, now that we've gotten into how amazing tapping is, <laughs> so you do tapping with Tony, then you're coming back and you're like, all right, let's, you got to start throwing, you do this, whatever. So what is then your first step into t- 
tapping works. I love tapping. I want to make this like people need to know more about tapping. And at first, were you like, I'm going to make a business out of tapping or even just like people need to know about this? Like, was it a both? Yeah. So it's probably February or March 2007. I was at the Tree of Life Center in Arizona doing a week-long juice cleanse, green juice cleanse. You know, the continuing thread of like the cleanses from Tony and I forget how I got hooked up with the Tree of Life Center. But I went there and it was day five of the cleanse, the first two days. If you've ever done an extended fast, usually you're pretty terrible and miserable and this, that, and the other. And then you start moving into day four, five, and six, and you just feel like a million bucks, like clarity, energy, flexibility. And that was day five. And I was walking around in the desert in Arizona somewhere and just had an inspiration to make a documentary film about tapping. This is right when The Secret had come out and been a big hit. So I definitely had that in my brain of like, okay, there's, you know, you can make a documentary. And I knew that several people in The Secret were actually into tapping, that they used it as part of their practice. So Joe Vitale, Jack Canfield, Bob Doyle, they're all stars of The Secret and they used tapping. So being inspired by tapping, being excited about The Secret, the potential to make a film. I just decided to do this thing. I called up Jess and, you know, Jess was painting people's bedrooms and, <laughs> you know, not a lot going on. And I said, you want to do this together? And she said, yes. And then I reached out to uh, one of my close buddies, Nick Polizzi, who we went to elementary school, middle school and high school together. My thinking with him was he went to graphic design school for college. So that's sort of like, Filming and editing, right? It's somewhat in the same department, you know? And uh, the three of us set off on this journey to make a film. I bought $40,000 worth of camera equipment on credit cards and credit lines, literally unpacking boxes and pulling out things and going, pretty sure this is a light. Because this, this looks like a light, doesn't it? And, uh, and we started filming. We started interviewing. We started filming people, doing tapping. We started flying around the country, interviewing Joe Vitale and Jack Canfield and Bob Doyle and Cheryl Richardson and just sending people an email saying, hey, we're making a film about tapping. Do you want to be in it? And uh, it took us about a year to get it out. The film is a mix of all these experts And then what really holds the film together, and we struggled to figure out how to do this, but once we did, it made sense, is we also took 10 people from around the country who had never used tapping before. They came in through different email lists, applications, and they had all sorts of challenges like chronic back pain and fibromyalgia and debilitating grief and just life challenges. We tried to get a spectrum of people with different issues, and we went to their house beforehand. So we get the pre-footage and you see John sitting down on his chair and making noise because his back hurts and looking at his x-rays and the multiple surgeries he's had and all the pain meds he takes. And then they all come together for this three-day event in Connecticut that we filmed the whole weekend showing the results. Thankfully, it worked. I mean, I always knew it would work. Something's better than others, but some pretty dramatic, like John, who I mentioned, who had been in pain for 30 years. You see a clip of him sitting on the floor saying, 
this morning, I woke up pain-free for the first time in 30 years. And those were the results that just happened in front of your eyes. So the film is the mix of the experts taking you through the technique and the different things it works on, and then the people actually having those experiences. And you didn't, like, I'm guessing you did have to then hire some outside people to edit it or like anything, or did you totally make it happen on your own without knowing what the heck you're doing? So we filmed it all ourselves with Nick Polizzi figuring out how to set up shots. And I can point you to the shots where we, he knew more about lighting and the shots where he was new to lighting and um, focus, you know, those basics. And then we went, we had all this footage and we go, okay, well, we have to edit it. So we have to hire an editor because we don't know how to edit. And we hired some editors. It was really expensive. They would send us a minute clip and we would hate it. And they would just be like, you don't get it. Mm. So Nick was, went to visit his grandma in Florida over Christmas break. And he buys Final Cut Pro and he starts cutting things. Wow. And we talk about things and he cuts them. And then we talk some more and he cuts and he self-taught, edited the whole movie himself. So you guys really did it all yourselves. All ourselves. And if you go watch it now, I mean, it's dated. It's 10 years old, so we don't have super HD cameras the way we have now. But the movie holds up. The storyline is there. The music is there. What's also, I think, interesting and cool about what we did is we figured it out, and then we released it. We made DVDs. We had a premiere locally. and then we kept working on it because we couldn't afford proper color correction before we released it. I was already $140,000 in airplane, you know, tickets and more equipment and this, that, and the other. So I just had to sell the thing in order to start getting our money back. So we released it and then we probably did two or three more versions where it'd be like, okay, the music is not balanced here and let's get a professional person to balance this music. and then got it to a state where it was much cleaner and in better shape. But the original film, we just got it out there and yeah, truly figured it all out ourselves. And Nick has gone on to, his brand is The Sacred Science. He's made other documentaries and oh, other wow. docu-series. And he is, you know, got his whole own thing now in that space. Very cool. And I mean, also in the whole year it's taking to make this in your, you know, a thousand percent effort into making this documentary, are you at that time only thinking about the documentary or are you starting to think, okay, so what's next? Like, and you know, and like, yeah, you created the tapping solution, right? was your name. Like, I'm guessing you had put a website up right away because of you. Yeah, we put, um, we put up a website <laughs> and we just sold, yeah, we just sold DVDs. But no, I mean, if you watch the film, I'm in it for 90 seconds total, maybe, because in that moment, I was just the producer of the film holding the event together. But I'm 29 years old at the time. Maybe I just turned 30. I didn't consider myself the expert. I didn't want to be the expert. Just wanted to make this film. Just sharing. You're just sharing stories of tapping in the hopes that people will try it and it'll support them and change their lives in different ways. That's it. So we released a film in 08. Then it takes us about a year to break even selling DVDs at 1995 and, you know, some some other things. And then in 2009, we did our first Tapping World Summit. And that is what really broke open the business side of it. It's hard to make money selling DVDs for 1995. This was one of the 
first summits that did really well, where we would sell a product for 97 or 197. This was an expansive look about tapping, bringing in experts from around the world, uh, doing audio interviews. And we just wrapped up our 12th summit. So we've done it 12 years in a row. We're prepping. I was prepping with Jess this morning right now for the 13th which will actually be our first video one. We're finally like, all right, we'll do video. Oh, really? They haven't been video? They've been audio because they were from the beginning. And um, we were just reluctant to make a change because we knew how to do it. But now it's like, all right. (laughs) There was a point when we couldn't do it because the bandwidth wasn't available. So we just sort of got stuck in that world. And video just takes more. Jess has to put on, you know, get, get dressed and put on some makeup and, you know, clean up a little bit. So... Uh, but we're doing video this year. Well, also I make up because you've always been an audio intaker person. It's true. That you might have not, you know, yeah. like, cause I'm kind of like that too. A lot of them, like even my courses and stuff like that. I was like, well, I'm just going to do it in audio. Cause for me, like, that's how I listen to things. I'm not like, let me sit down and watch someone talking to me. I'm the same thing. Like, so yeah. So it's probably just how we take in information yeah, is yeah. Then how we tend to serve it a lot of times. <laughs> no, well, and we used to, I mean, I have it here, all the binders that we would ship CDs and people would put the CDs in their car and they would listen to them in their car. You know, that has changed now. But yeah, so, you know, first summit 2009. And then I think the spend a couple of years doing summits, growing the business. And then in 2012, I met with some people from Hay House, met Reed Tracy, the president of Hay House, and Patty Gift in New York, and Nancy Levin, had dinner with them, told them all about my stories and what I was doing with tapping, similar conversation to you know, what we've had today. And they said, well, you should really write a book. Obviously, they're publishers. And, you know, and I remember so clearly being like, I don't think so. Business is going great. Like, who am I to write a book? Like, I'm just I'm the guy sharing the thing. And mm. Not the email list, but it wasn't like I was desperate to write a book. So I just kind of said, eh, I don't know. And then Patty called me the next morning and she just made me an offer. I mean, Reed, Reed must have known. He's become a really close friend since and we talk all the time. He must have known that like, okay, if you just make him an offer, it'll wake him up to it. Because it helps when someone's going to be like, I will write you a check to yeah. write a book, you know? That's why those things are structured that way. It's hard to get people to... Well, especially for someone who continuously puts them in tons of debt to do things that he wants. <laughs> That's true. Good point. Okay, Good you're going to give me this check to do something. Yeah, exactly. You're going to pay me to you know, share this and, message and, that I... <laughs> yeah. So I wrote the Tapping Solution book and that came out in 2013. Uh, was a New York Times bestseller for the first four weeks. Was it out of the gate? Right out of the gate. Four weeks in a row. That is amazing. Yeah, it was really great. Hit number one on Amazon of all books, which I think is actually a bigger accomplishment than New York Times bestseller because that's every book in the world on my birthday. I remember it so clearly. Uh, It was a Saturday, May 5th. I forget what. So May 5th, 2013. And I was down in Georgia at a Hay House event and was watching it. It was number two for like a couple of days. And then for about a day, it jumped to number one. And yeah, so that's, that was sort of the start of the books and putting that out there. Amazing. And so yeah, like this whole, I'm guessing, is it still sort of, I'm now, you know, the company has probably grown to such a point and now you guys released the app in the last year. I don't even know if it was a year ago. Yeah. A year and a half too. So 2018, late 18, we released the app. 
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it seems like that from the start, it's sort of been just like a passion project that has turned into your business and that you're just like in it and continuously, how can I serve people to get this message out there? It feels like for me that that's how you guys have been approaching it from like, let's make this movie to this, like, okay, get it into people's hands on their phone. Let's build an app. And that it's like you 1000% have built a successful business, but it still seems to be very much around like service. Even in the fact of like, oh, I don't want to write a book. And then, oh, wait, like, okay, this will help people. Not like, it's not me. I need to be an author and be a New York yeah. Times selling best. Like, oh, okay, let's get this into more people's hands and homes. That's it. I mean, that's been it time and again. We just passed 2 million completed sessions on the app. Wow. So 2 million times someone opened it up and did the tapping. And yeah, every step has been, okay, what is, how do we get it into more people's hands? How do we get the people who actually use it to use it more often? I mean, that was one of the challenges. I'm still really proud of the books and they're interesting and great reads and great for readers, but a lot of people just won't read. Or they'll read the book, but then not actually do the tapping. Yeah, for that sort of practice where, yeah, you can read about it, but it doesn't make you be like, let me put the book down and now do it. Where I'm guessing the app is more an actionable thing. If you're opening the app, you're going to be tapping. That's it. And we get to what I love about the app. You know, the book, you work on a book for a year and then you're editing and then it's published. And usually by the time it's out in the world, you've already changed your mind on three things or you found five other things that you want to cover and it's, they just get dated really quickly. With the app, I can be inspired. A couple of weeks ago, I did a you are enough tapping meditation and was just inspired by the concept. Some of them I write beforehand and you know follow the script. This one was a mix of that and then just me being inspired and taking people through that. And it's been transforming people's lives. Just that. There was one lady who did it for eight days in a row, just the you are enough meditation. And she writes this beautiful Facebook post about how she woke up in the morning with tears Mm -hmm. streaming down her face because she felt like she was enough for the first time in her whole life. So the ability to be like, I've got a concept on this thing specifically where I can take tapping and I can look at, you know, these beliefs, this resistance, the things that are in the way, and then put it out in the world with coronavirus and all the anxiety and everything, we were able to react really quickly. And within days of it becoming a real thing, Jess had recorded a coronavirus anxiety meditation. And now we have like pregnant during a pandemic. We have ones for kids. Like we get to really specifically help people and just load them up in the app and get them out there. Yeah. And that's like, I have a daily inspiration app, totally different, but same thing. Like now that the platform is there and exists, if you own the app, yeah, like I can think of a new quote or affirmation and upload it now and it goes to your device. So you thought of that. I am enough. You, it came through you, upload it. It's there right now. Not like, oh, this will go in the next whatever reiteration of the app that'll release at some time. So yeah, the technology is amazing. And that too, like you're saying that came through you, the I am enough. I make up that was something you, right, needed. So it's like, these things are so powerful. And the same thing, like a lot of people resonate with my words that I'm posting. A lot of people resonate with these tappings. And it's like, because they're likely at least, even if you're like, oh, this person, or I know this person life might need this. It's still like coming from real emotions that we feel. Again, I feel like compassion, like that you're like seeing this with yourself, like, man, I am not, I'm like feeling a struggle of enoughness right now. 
I got to do this. And so we're all struggling with the same sorts of things, even though we're so different and our stories are so different. Our situations are different. And so like by you opening up and like you making yourself vulnerable in this, I am enough, probably tapping thing. It's probably reaching so many people. Yeah, no, 100%. Sorry if you didn't want people to know that you struggle with being enough. If- <laughs> oh, no, listen, let's struggle with it all. List it, you know? Though, though, I mean, I can honestly say that the work of the past 20 years, you know, the personal development work, the tapping work, I don't wake up in the morning not feeling like I'm enough. And that's, again, not that I don't have struggles and this, that, and the other, but I can clearly see the difference from doing this work. And I think if you ask my sister or brother, they would, you know, or my wife, maybe that's the best, you know, uh, they would agree that I've done the work. Yeah. Well, and because of that, you're even able to see that you, you know, cause for me too, like I don't wake up with a not enough bliss, but I'll have my found myself, whether it's, Oh, I just compared myself or I'm in a doubt or a fear. Oh. Is this going to work out? Yes. And so then I'm easily yes. able to track it to, this is me telling myself like, this is an, I'm not enough thought. Where's that? And so then because of, we've done the work, yes. <laughs> we can yes. name it and help can- other people more swiftly shift out of it as well. Cause that's what's like the doubts, the fears, the comparisons, the judgments will still surface no matter how much work you've done. You just get quicker and quicker, right? At yeah. naming them. 100%. Well, that's why I stay off Instagram too. When I see that, I'm like, all right, I'm scrolling through and seeing that someone else is on stage in front of 5,000 people and I'm not in that moment. And my brain instantly says, has like FOMO about it is absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, it is ridiculous. So yeah, naming, <laughs> naming the ridiculous thoughts yeah. and kicking them out. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I have a YouTube series called I Call Bullshit, which is naming these thoughts. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Psst, it's Trisha here. You know, I'm always reminding you guys to go get the Own Your Awesome app. Still great. Go get the app. But I never really tell you about what started it all. The Own Your Awesome Affirmation Deck. It's a deck of 52 cards comes in a nice box. You can open it up, you know, have a little ritual, take your time with it, pull a card and see how that card feels for you. Repeat it to yourself. You can post it in the mirror. You can post it up in your office space, on your refrigerator. You can share cards with other people. I have lots of yoga teachers and counselors of different people use it with their clients and put them on people's yoga mats and stuff before class. There's so many ways to use the cards and to gift them and to share them and to surprise yourself with them. And it's just a different feeling of actually having something in your hand or putting your hand over the pile of them to pick a card for yourself. So it's 52 affirmations. They're all white, black, red, and gold foil. So pretty gorgeous looking myself. And, you know, it feels like a color scheme. You can give to men, female, all beings, and um, that it will feel like a nice mess. Own your awesome. Okay. It's not like, you know, purple with fairies, nothing against that. But that was one of the reasons I created this deck, that I wanted it to be something you would be proud to have on your coffee table, your desk, your nightstand. I just picked a card. I am getting out of my own way. That's the affirmation card I picked today. So maybe that's the card you needed too. Go get the deck. There's a link in the show notes. Go to shop.yourjoyologist.com. There's also a special deal. You can get four in the gifter set because it's a great gift to have on hand to give to anyone and everybody to celebrate or just 
because gift. All right, go check it out. Own your awesome. All right, let's get to the questions that I ask everybody. Oh, the first one is, oh, let's see how this will work. Huh? I ask everybody what is easiest for you, or I feel like what is easiest for us is not always what is best for us. And every time I say it out loud, I think, well, of course not. But we often are getting into our routines or our habits or how we've been conditioned to act, believe, whatever. So I ask everybody to apply that to themselves in their own life. What is easiest is for me to do blank. What is best is for me to... Yeah, interesting. So I would probably say what's easiest for me is to just get on the phone to work. Like I'm half of my days and sometimes it's productive. I just call my brother or sister and we talk through stuff or call Reed Tracy or call Nick Blizzy. And, you know, there's some good of that, but that's easy for me. Like I can talk business, I can talk marketing, I can do all that stuff. Whereas what's best for me is probably to do more of the deeper work the reading, the creating of meditations like you are enough. I mean, if I sit and read, I'm likely to come up with something that I'm now going to create a meditation from. So it's easy to be on the phone. It's harder to do that reading and writing and creation. I get that. Or just even like, it's sort of like easier to to be the doing stuff. Okay. It feels like I'm handling things. I'm whatever, because we're talking, we're in the conversation. So I'm doing business, but the like sitting and creating, having the space for the, for the creating to come out. Okay. I'm looking at your list. I mean, should I just, part of me wants to say, I got to pick I'm enough because it's right (laughs) at the top. And, and that's what we talked about. Yeah. It's just sort of like, yeah. Which reminder you feel like, uh, you would enjoy having the most in your life right now. It's it's a keychain that I'm going to send you. So you will have. No, I love it. Okay, so I get the keychain of this yeah, thing. Yeah, so which okay. keychain do you want? <laughs> oh, man. See, that's, <laughs> to remind now, you. Now I'm, now I'm like, you know, fuck the shoulds, do the wants. I'm like, this, my daughter's five. She can't read. So, you know, I do love that one because, man, can we get caught up in a lot of shoulds? And there's just so much coming at us these days. That's I'm writing my first book right now about eliminating the shoulds from your life. I stopped saying the word over 10 years ago. Mm. And so it shifted. And so I replace it with want. So every time I should wants to come up, I have to replace it with want. But then also just, I still, we still feel the weight of shoulds daily. So it's a daily navigation process. So I think I'm going to go with so fucking grateful because I think it's true for me. Uh, My wife and I are always talking about it. So grateful for our daughter, June, the house we live in, what I get to do every day. I mean, I could have never imagined that like, okay, this is what I get to do. Just talk and then write and create and help people and change lives. I, I don't know what else I can ask for. Yeah. You guys have served so many people too. So amazing. Awesome. Uh, what is a go-to that you do to raise your joy levels? So if you're maybe not in the best mood, you're maybe yeah, need to be on a call or something like that or interview, be on stage, something to boost your energy. I'm guessing tapping could be one of those things. Yeah, tapping. I mean, that's the easy answer. Yeah. Definitely. Like I've got, I got in the app, motivate me to have a productive day, which freaking works. I mean, every time I'm just like dragging and just checking emails, you know, when you've read the same email seven times, you're not doing anything about it because it's like more work and you do the tapping and just your energy unlocks from it. So that or just go outside, go for a walk. I've got a great backyard and I work from this barn that I built in my backyard. So I work from home. So just getting outside nature. Nice. Okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It. 
because I believe that our feelings of joy, like being joyful, being enough, being successful, being fulfilled, whatever it is, aren't out there somewhere. Once I have this, once I do this, once I have the perfect wife, kids, whatever, then I'll feel this, that it's something that we have to claim for ourselves every Mm. day, sometimes every moment of the day. Yeah. (laughs) So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Oh, I love that. And you know, I think you'll, you'd like the instant boosts that we have in our app. So we have like instant boost of happiness, instant boost of joy. And, and there is language in there also about choosing and practicing these emotions. So I think claiming is also like, hey, you got to practice these emotions. Because if we haven't practiced hope before, it doesn't just come. I've right? got to make this conscious choice to practice that. So I'm going to claim hope. And especially with everything that's going on in the world, and it can be so easy to be like, uh, you know, when's there going to be an answer our lives? Like, it's just easy to go into this dark place. I'm going to claim hope. Like, we're going to figure things out. So much good is coming out of this and just live in that space. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I hope you loved hearing about Nick's journey. And um, I will have, again, links to their app in the show notes. It's amazing. I mean, they have videos online. They have, they both, Nick and Jessica, have books out. Everything is great, but the app is, you know, super useful as we're on our phones all the time. And it can be easy to tell ourselves like, I'll read that later. I'll do that later. App, open it up, do a tapping meditation and uh, see how much it shifts your energy. Let me know. I love to hear from you. Like I said, I've been recommending this app so often, especially lately. For full show notes, go to yourdoelgist.com slash podcast and you will find all the episodes there. Find all things me, yourdoelgist.com and at yourdoelgist. Nick, yeah, you can find him at The Tapping Solution. You can also find him at Nick Ortner on Instagram. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know if you're listening. What was your favorite part? Feel free to DM me. And um, I would love if you haven't already to subscribe to the podcast and to leave a review. It really, really helps the podcast get more discoverable so that more people can be listening shifting their thoughts and claiming their lives for themselves. And if you do leave a review, screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourdwellgist.com and I will send you a free gift from my product line. Just like I have everybody pick a keychain, I've got magnets, I've got mugs, I've got journals, I've got the affirmation deck, I've got plenty of things and I will send you a little gift because it really means a lot hearing from you. And it means a lot when you share the episodes. I love it. I love all interactions. (laughs) All right. So let's think of the final note today of consider for yourself right now, what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Can you see where you need to take your next best choice? And again, sometimes the easiest choice, like the best choice is not necessarily, I'm saying it's hard. It can just be like, oh, I can't even, it could be like relaxing. I'm going to let myself go to bed early without doing any more work, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm going to let my kids watch another show. Like, where are you fighting yourself? What's easiest for you is not always what is best for you. What can you do today that is best for you?